You can be seated this morning. Thank you for being with us. We're creatures of habit, aren't we? Especially when it comes to church, we have a certain set of expectations, how we believe things are going to go, and if they go on long enough that way, we start to believe that that's the way they are supposed to go. That's the way it's supposed to happen. It's supposed to work. And sometimes we might even get a little bit irked if that's not how it works. And so you might be a bit irked or at least curious as to why we're doing things uh, what you would call out of order this morning. Worship is supposed to come first, then prayer, then announcements, then offering, then the message. And hopefully, we'll be out of here quickly so that my whole day isn't ruined, right? And that's how church is supposed to go. Uh, Maybe we'll get home in time for a little more of that NFL analysis or something. And we can get so caught up in these routines that we forget the importance of what we do at church and that there are reasons we do what we do. And if we forget why we do the things that we do when we come to church, we may start to lose interest as as we just go through the routine and the motions and our hearts are no longer in what we're doing when we come. Our behavior could even start to reveal that we don't understand what we're doing or the importance or purpose of what we're doing. Imagine that you're on a a basketball team and every day, 15 minutes prior to practice, the coach invites players to come and to work on basic skills. He likes to emphasize passing and layups But you learned those skills a long, long time ago. You'd rather work on your razzle-dazzle ball handling, and you think that those basics are maybe good for your teammates, but you don't need them anymore. And then several games into the season, while you're trying to break someone's ankles with your latest move, the ball is stolen and your opponent scores. And a few plays later, the opposition intercepts a pass to your teammate, and then um, you miss a wide-open layup and you lose the game by two points. And at the next game, as you sit on the bench, because you're no longer in the starting lineup, and you're riding the pine, you contemplate that perhaps the fundamentals are important after all. Or imagine that there is a a regular meeting at your work, and all the employees, they're supposed to go, they're supposed to attend, but it seems like your boss isn't really paying too much attention to who's there and when you arrive. They don't take attendance, and you feel like the staff, uh, like the stuff you're covering at this staff meeting is really not all that important. It's boring. It's useless. So you slowly and unintentionally start arriving later and later. The first couple of weeks, you're just a couple of minutes late, and then a couple turns into a few, and then a few turns into 10 to 15, and this goes on for quite a while, and it really doesn't seem to affect you. Nobody ever says anything, nobody ever notices, and then one day, you overhear a few of your coworkers celebrating as they look at a computer screen. So you go over, you ask why they're so excited. And they say that the company stock has risen significantly and that because of their employee shares, they stand to make a lot of money. Employee shares, you ask? I didn't know about that. Oh, yeah, they say. We covered it about eight months ago at staff meeting. There's the program that you can sign up for in which you can get some shares in the company. And they gave the info right at the beginning of the meeting. You're so dumbfounded by this that you start to feel a little lightheaded thinking about all the money you could have made. And so you pass out and you wake up in the emergency room. The doctor tells you that you had a small heart incident and you're going to need to be admitted to the hospital. Hospital. A worker comes into your room and starts asking you questions about your insurance coverage. You assure her that you have very good insurance. And when she goes to check on it, she tells you that while you do have insurance, Your deductible is very high, and you'll have to meet that before you get any benefits. 
you tell her that you're a part of a program, a special program at work that gives you additional benefits. She does some checking and then informs you that that program expired last month and you failed to sign up again. And then it hits you. You remember the memo sent out to all employees telling you that you need to renew your membership in that program and that details would be available at the beginning of the next staff meeting. It was a miserable day for you because you forgot the importance of why you have that meeting. Sometimes we forget the significance and the purpose of routine things. I think one aspect of church in which this happens frequently for people, and maybe it's even happened to you, is that we forget why we worship. Now, I know that we can do everything in our lives, every part of our lives can be an act of worship, that all that we do should be done as unto the Lord. But it's also true that worship can have a more particular or specific meaning. When Christians talk about worship, we often have a particular activity in mind. Namely, we mean when we gather to sing praise to God. Have you ever thought about the definition of worship? What worship is? Consider just a couple of these definitions. The music and words that Christians direct to God in praise, together with the heart attitudes that accompany that praise, especially when Christians assemble together. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and hearts. In the fuller biblical perspective, worship is a creative response to God's gracious act of condescension in Jesus Christ. A response that takes the form of praise, proclamation, recollection, and prayer. And while we often reduce worship in our thinking to singing praise in our common way of speaking, there is actually a lot more that goes on when we gather to worship as we see in these definitions. Worship involves remembering what God has done and responding to it. Worship means glorifying God, specifically in his presence. So it's not just singing, it's singing to someone who is real and is present. It involves not only the external self that we see on the outside, but it involves the internal self, the heart. And it involves being together, assembled, where others can hear you and you can hear them. And if we forget what we're doing when we gather to sing God's praise in worship, it can become a routine and it can become ritualistic. And if we lose the heart of what we're doing, then it's probably going to fall down our priority list extensively. I remember when I was in high school, I was part of a special ensemble, and we would from time to time go and sing at various events, and we were invited to sing at a, a local business club. I think it was like the Lions or the Rotary Club or something like that, and, and after lunch, just before we were supposed to give up and give our presentation, they sang a couple of songs together, and I stood in amazement as grown men and women joined in joyfully singing, row, row, row your boat. I pondered the lyrics, thinking, I have to have missed something, right? There's got to be some reason these adult people are singing, row, row, row your boat together. I mean, there's got to be some deeper meaning, but there is no deeper meaning. I double-checked even for this message. There's no deeper meaning to row, row, row your boat. It is what it seems on the surface. And they stood there, and they sang this song, and I stood there, and I thought to myself, how sad that these men and women want to get together, and they want to express some kind of joy, they want to rejoice in something, they want to say, say an expression of hope in something, they desire to praise something, but the best they can do is row, row, row your boat. And if we forget 
what worship is and why we gather for it, you may begin to think something similar. Why do I take part in, in, in this? Why is this part of what we do morning after morning on Sundays? Can't we just get on with the important stuff? My feet are tired. Why do I bother to come for this part of the service anyway? And you could stand there and you could feel about as connected as I did when I heard what I thought were serious-minded business people singing, row, row, row your boat. Since worship is something we do every week and since I don't want you to miss out on what it is, its importance. This morning, I hope to convince you of something very, very simple. That you should be here for worship. You should be here. You should be here physically, present. Both in in the sense that you're here with the body, on time, ready to sing. And also that you're here with the right heart, ready to worship the Lord. Consider why worshiping together is so important. One of the primary things we do when we worship God is that we remember what God has done. Worship brings us back to the central purpose of our lives. That is, that they are to glorify God. And it brings us back to the central act and fact of our salvation. The death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection on our behalf. Now you might think that you don't need to be reminded of those things, like the basketball player that doesn't need to practice the fundamentals. You know God exists, and and you know that Jesus died, and, and that God rose from the dead, so why bother with all of this worship? Why do you need to remember? Maybe here's a simple illustration that will help you think about this. Your wedding or your best friend's birthday. If it gets to the end of the day, and you've not said anything or given any gifts, and your wife is crying, you could try saying something like, Honey, sweetie, baby, I know it's our anniversary, and you know it too. We don't need to make a big fuss about it, do we? We know where we stand. And you could try that. Good luck. That's not going to go so well, though, is it? And it shouldn't go well. Remembering your vows and your commitments, not just once a year, but often, is important to that relationship. Look at Psalm 78, 41 to 42. It says this, They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. Now these verses describe how Israel, God's people, how they acted toward him shortly after he freed them from their slavery in the wilderness, or from their slavery in Egypt, and they were brought out into the wilderness. It says they forgot. Did they all hit their heads? Like they trip over something and fall down and hit their heads on a rock? Did they have a, a case of amnesia? No, they didn't forget in that sense. It was rather that when they were confronted with the difficulties and the temptations, they didn't trust God, and they acted as if he hadn't delivered them just a short while before. In contrast, Psalm 103 verse 2 instructs us to do this. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We should remember that the things that God has done for us. Last week we saw that God instructs us to help our families establish a Christian worldview, to understand how to think about the world and how to look at the world through his eyes, through his lens, based on his word. One of the ways that worldview is built and it gets reinforced in our lives is constantly remembering what God has done for us, especially what he's done for us through Jesus. And when we gather for worship, we specifically sing and we remember what God has done and it helps to set the right course for our lives, keeping them pointed toward God and toward his glory and it builds our relationship with him. 
If you find yourself when we come together to worship struggling to relate to worship, particularly maybe singing, one thing that I've found very fruitful in my own life is knowing the Word of God and reading it regularly. Because a single song is never going to adequately express what God has done for you. But the songs that we sing contain many allusions to Scripture. Sometimes Pastor Camille Grace will help us by pointing out those allusions or those references to the Bible explicitly, but we can't do that for every reference because there are many. And so it helps if you know God's Word. And as we sing, you'll be reminded of the truths and the promises of God that we're singing and the larger context that it has in the Scripture and of the greater promises of God that we're calling to mind, and it will help you. Remember when Jesus hung on the cross, he uttered these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that might be strange to think of Jesus uttering these words about God forsaking him. But if you read the full psalm to which Jesus was referencing or alluding in his words on the cross, you will see that the psalmist had not lost faith entirely. The very next phrase says, and yet I know that you will deliver me. Jesus was not just saying God forsook me. He was reminding himself that God, his father, was also about to deliver him. And if you know God's word, then when we're singing songs that refer to part of scripture, you'll be reminded of the fullness of scripture. And you'll be able to enter in to a greater time of worship because you'll be reminded about what God has done, what he's doing in your life, and what his promises are for you. You'll recognize the passage that a song is based on. You'll be aware of its context and meaning, and the richness of your worship will increase by that understanding. Another beneficial worship practice is to remember what God has done in your life specifically. Often the songs we sing remind us of what God has done generally, how he's delivered us, how he saved us through the blood of his son Jesus. But you can recall how specifically he saved you, how he's freed you, how he's directed your life, and how he continues to direct your life, and it will make your worship more personal and meaningful. Now, can you do this by yourself? Yes, and you should worship throughout the week. But we don't always remember well when we're by ourselves. And so as a congregation, we set aside time week after week in our services, at least twice a week on Sundays and Wednesdays, to remember through worship what God has done. So even if you're struggling to keep those things in mind personally, if you prioritize worship with the church, you'll be pointed back to the Savior again and again in your life. You should be here for worship because when you worship, you remember what God has done for you. But you also lead your emotions when you worship. Go back to Psalm 103, verse 2. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. This psalm was written by David, the giant slayer, the king of Israel. And I want to ask you this, to whom was David speaking when he wrote this psalm? He's talking to himself, just like you do, just like I do. Except the words that he was saying weren't negative words. They weren't criticisms of other people. He wasn't complaining or grumbling in his heart or his mind. He was reminding himself. He was leading his emotions. He was saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's saying, David, bless the Lord. Don't forget what he's done for you. I have to do this from time to time, don't you? Stephen, why are you thinking that way? Bless the Lord. He's done great things 
for you. One of my favorite times that David did this, because he did it multiple times throughout his psalms. In Psalm 43, 5, this may be the most famous one as well. He says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. One of the reasons that worship particularly worship together with the body of Christ is so important is because when you are here for worship, you're leading your emotions intentionally. Because people, all of us, are prone to be deceived by our emotions. God's word warns us about all kinds of emotions that can deceive us. He warns us about anger and jealousy and bitterness and anxiety that can get in our hearts and and, and lust or what the world calls love. And he even warns us of despair and sadness. All emotions that if allowed to lead our lives lead us in a place away from God and a place that is not good for us either. And society tells us something opposite. Rather than saying, let God lead your emotions, it tells us, follow your heart. It says, follow your emotions. Let your emotions lead you. But when you make the decision to be here for worship, you're making a decision to lead your emotions. You're saying that God is your joy. You're saying saying to yourself, like David said, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And I want to encourage you that you wouldn't just lead your emotions by coming, but that you would lead your emotions by how you come to worship. Come with a soft and a willing heart. None of what I say today is intended to communicate that you should just show up and and that's good enough. Showing up is part, it's the first part, and it's an important part, but worship must be in spirit as as well. And so you have to engage. It's a matter of attitude. And attitude is expressed internally, but it's also expressed externally, isn't it? I mean, unless you're really good at hiding it, you can tell when someone has a bad attitude. I know in my generation uh, how young men expressed a bad attitude. If they were not happy about being in a particular class or they thought themselves superior to something, um, they did this thing where they would slide really far down in their chair like this. Lean really far back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know if young men still do this. They even did it in their cars. I don't know why they were allowed to do this, but they'd slide down until they could barely see over the dashboard and they would do one hand. I don't know, somebody should have arrested them and told them, you can't drive that way, that's not healthy, you're gonna hurt somebody. But this is what they would do to express, I think I'm better than this situation, I don't really want to be here, I don't think this is necessary for me. And while you might not do that, hopefully you don't do that in the pews when you come, there's probably too narrow a gap and you couldn't get down far enough to express your disdain. But in any event, hopefully in the way you express yourself when you come to worship, you don't do that with your attitude, either internally or externally. And the Bible tells us to lead our emotions and to lead our attitudes even with the outer actions that we take. Not that we should put on a show, but that sometimes making a decision to lead ourselves helps us to lead ourselves internally even as we do things externally. Look at some of the ways that the scripture tells us to worship the Lord. It says in Psalm 95, 1, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Or clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 47, 1. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Psalm 63, verse 4. Shout for joy to the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Psalm 33, 1. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. Psalm 150, verse 4. The word worship itself is a word that has to do with your posture. 
At the root, it means to kneel or to bow down. In other words, we are to engage our hearts and our bodies in worship. And when we do, we lead our emotions rather than letting our emotions lead us. So it's appropriate that I would exhort you to be here for worship and that when you are here for worship, you would engage in singing, in clapping, in lifting up your hands and expressing your love for God. I understand that there are a range of possibilities on this and that there are different kinds of personalities and levels of comfort when you come to praise the Lord. But can I encourage you not to be the rebellious young man who's sliding down in his seat or to act like that in your own? Sometimes people come and they cross their arms and they fold their arms like this because they just don't see why we need to do this or they stand stock still and silent not entering into the praise of God's people, not participating in what God is doing, and their demeanor and their facial expression and their attitude tells you that they don't understand the value of what we're doing when we're together. And what I'm not saying is everybody needs to start jumping up and down or that you need to start mimicking what someone else is doing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that when you come to worship, Lead your heart and lead your emotions. Have an attitude that says, I'm ready to worship the Lord. And even when I don't feel like it on the inside, my emotions aren't going to lead me today. I'm going to be led by God's word and by his people. And I'm going to do what the word of God exhorts me. I'm going to bless the Lord, O my soul, and not forget his benefits. I'm going to say to my soul, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. And rather than allowing my emotions to lead me, because they will, and they'll lead you to places you don't want to go, I'm going to lead my emotions so that my emotions are attached where they should be. As your pastor, I have a responsibility to make sure that our worship is right. Pastor Camille Grace shares that responsibility. We want to make sure that it's doctrinally sound, that it points to Jesus, that it is led by the Spirit, that it appropriately expresses joy and adoration. So please don't think that I think what I'm about to say is an excuse not to do that. It's not an excuse. We want to make sure that worship is right. But what I've found is that more often than not, worship is what you make of it. You may not like a song. You may not like a style or something else. And too often, people approach worship with an attitude of arrogance, believing that they would do better, or thinking that there's some kind of musical worship critic, like it's a performance to be critiqued rather than a time to lead our emotions into the presence of God, rather than approaching God with desire and to adore him. One of my favorite stories is of a man who waited for the pastor in the lobby one Sunday after church and he approached the pastor and he said, I didn't really care for the songs that we sang today, pastor. The pastor gently and thoughtfully responded, that's okay, we weren't singing to you anyway. And while we strive to lead worship faithfully, worship is not just a time for our opinions or our feelings. Worship isn't even just a time to have good feelings. Rather, when we worship, we lead our feelings to the source of true peace and real hope and lasting joy. More than that, we lead ourselves to recognize what's really worthy in life. Our emotions can become tied to things that are wrong. Have you ever heard of the Stockholm Syndrome? Stockholm Syndrome is a coping mechanism to a captive or abusive situation, and people develop positive or good feelings toward the people who've captured them or kidnapped them or have abused them over time. 
And so it's obvious that as human beings, in this extreme example, and in many that you might be able to think of in between, it's possible that we can attach our emotions to things that are evil. And we can even tie good emotions to things that are not good. And what we do when we worship the Lord is we as a community of believers, not you by yourself where your emotions are easily deceived, but you together with the body of Christ where we together recognize what we're singing is right, it's good, it's biblical, it's from the Lord. What we're hearing is good, it is from God. We together come and we say, I'm leading my emotions back to God. I'm not going to allow my emotions to lead me to things that are evil. And know this as well, that wherever you are and whoever you are, you will worship something. Everybody worships something. You can call yourself whatever label you want, atheist, agnostic, whatever. Everybody ends up worshiping something with their lives. They're looking for a source of hope and of joy. Like businessmen and businesswomen at you know, a club singing row, row, row your boat. They're trying to worship something even if they don't know what it is they're worshiping. And when we come together to worship the Lord, what we're doing is we're making certain week after week that we are explicitly, intentionally leading our hearts to the only person and the only place who deserves our worship, to Jesus Christ, God's Son revealed to us for our salvation. We are leading our lives to him because he's worthy. So whether I feel it on a particular day or not, Jesus is worthy. Lead your emotions by being here for worship. Once I was in a service where we were worshiping and there was a woman behind me who couldn't sing, but she was anyway. She was very loud, and not only was she loud in her singing and off-key in her singing, but she was shouting in the middle of songs and, 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 and just you know, saying things, and I was terribly distracted by all of this. I, I was thinking to myself how this was interrupting my worship experience and hoping that she wasn't distracting other people around me. And then I clearly felt a strong conviction from God. And he didn't speak to me audibly, but if I could interpret to you how the Holy Spirit spoke to me that night, it was something like, how dare you? And I was aware of some of the things that this woman had gone through in her life. And of some of the things that she was still going through and facing. And yet, she was there full on worshiping and adoring God. Meanwhile, I was distracted by thinking that This was a worship experience, and it was about me and my experience. And from that moment on, not only that night, but in future services, that woman's voice became my favorite voice, became the sweetest voice to me, because it reminded me that worship is not just about my experience. It was a reminder that I should humble myself when I come for worship and remember God's goodness and salvation in the midst of severe difficulties sometimes. I would have missed out on a great spiritual moment in my life if I had not been there to worship with the body of believers. Not only that, but if this woman, because of the circumstances of her life, were thinking, well, I don't really add anything to this setting, or, or uh, I'm going through a hard time, and I don't want to show up for worship, I don't really connect with it, if she had decided I'm not going to be there that night, I would have missed out on an extremely fruitful spiritual experience in my life because she hadn't come to worship and lift her voice to the Lord. Because when you come to worship church, you participate in the body of Christ Worship is not just a personal experience. It is participation with other people. I'm sure you've heard many people say something like, "Ah, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. 
Okay, granted, if you get saved on your deathbed and you never have a chance to be a part of church, technically speaking, I think you're saved, you've got eternal life, and you will be in heaven. But let's be clear. The New Testament knows of no such Christians. It never talks about them like that. It says that to be a believer is to be a part of the body of Christ. To be a part not only of the universal church that Jesus has saved through his blood of all believers throughout all time and history, but a part of a local body that together express the glory of God. And one of the primary things we do when we come together to worship is that we, we, we sing praise to Jesus that exhorts and helps other people and reminds us of our mission. And God's word clearly instructs us to do this together. Look at Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, just one instance where it teaches us to do this. It says this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You can't address one another by yourself. It's impossible. God did not correct my pride that night, my wrong attitude about worship, when I was alone by myself. He did it through a sister in Christ by her singing, though she didn't know it. She addressed me in a spiritual song. I didn't ever tell her that. How could I? What was I going to say? Hey, sister, your singing is terrible, but it really blessed me tonight. I couldn't do that. And so she doesn't know. And you don't know either, do you? You might sit here a hundred times and think to yourself, this does nothing. I'm just singing songs. No, 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 no. You don't know what might happen when you are with the body of Christ and you're singing the praise of God. You don't know how that might minister to somebody. You might not not know how it will bless somebody. And you might not know what Sunday you're going to be here and somebody's going to be singing off key in your ear and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you as they address you in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, though they don't even know it either. You may be encouraging someone else's faith and joy and adoration of God as you lift your hands unashamedly, as you sing, as you, as you lift your heart joyfully to the Lord. And it is an expression and a reminder to you when you come to do that, that Christianity is not a spectator sport. Worship is important for this reason. The reason we sing together is so that we are reminded, it's not just about what I'm saying today, It's about us together as the body of believers. We are the body of Christ. You're in this. You don't come to church. You come to worship and hear God's voice through his word with the church and as part of the church. So when you lift your voice, whether you can can sing or not, it should be a reminder to you that we together are the church and we together glorify God. Finally, You should be here for worship because when you are, you enter God's presence. Now I know that God is present everywhere at all times. God is present wherever you go and you cannot escape from him. And yet, God can also be more distinctly present, so to speak. Or we might say that he can reveal himself more and we can get a greater sense of his presence in some particular place or in a particular time. And while we don't require a physical temple in which to worship, and God can't be contained in buildings that have been constructed by human beings, the Apostle Peter could still write this. He wrote in 1 Peter 2.5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Notice Peter did not say in this passage, you yourself are a temple. Didn't say that. He said, you together, plural, you yourselves are like living stones, individual stones, but together you're being built up into a spiritual house for God. That is a temple or a place to offer worship to God. Yes, God is with you individually wherever you are, and yet Peter's image of our lives being fit together like living stones to be a temple for God means nothing unless God is also present in a different, unique way when we are connected and we are together. And the great passages of worship in the scripture depict God's throne, and they're not accompanied by an individual believer worshiping Jesus. They are accompanied by multitudes upon multitudes of saints and angels gathered around God's throne together worshiping God. When you come to church and you sing God's praise, you can rightly know and rightly say that you are entering God's presence whether you feel it or not. Not because of the architecture, not because of the specific songs, not because of the order of service, not because we have a monopoly on God at our church, but because we are his temple and he is present among us. You should be here for worship, physically and with the right heart. Corporate worship is essential because when you worship with your church, you remember what God has done, You lead your emotions, you participate in the body, and you enter God's presence. You probably noticed by now that we ordered the service uh, basically backwards of what we typically do. And we did that on purpose in order to emphasize worship this morning. Because we want our worship as a church to be a response to what God has done and to his word. We need to understand that it's a priority for the church to worship together for the reasons that I gave today. And there are many other reasons that we ought to worship together. Consider just a couple others. Worship is spiritual warfare. See Second Chronicles and the story of Jehoshaphat sending the singers out in front of the army. Praise can often help to soften our hearts and focus our, our hearts on the Holy Spirit so that he can speak to us with clarity. See the image of uh, Elijah in the wilderness when there was a storm and there was fire and, and Elijah was able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God as a still small voice when he was away from the distractions and the anxieties that he was running from in his life. He speaks with clarity. Worship is not just a warm-up for the sermon. It does often open our hearts to God's word, but it's not like the opening to the band or an opening band that you're just waiting for the, the main act to come on or something like that. Worship is central to what we do because we're reminded of who Jesus is when we do it. So be here for worship. Be here physically. Do everything in your power to be on time so that you don't miss out on praising God with the saints. I don't mean that to scold you. I know there's big E traffic today. I get it. I experienced it last night, okay? I get it. I understand. I'm not scolding. I'm encouraging and exhorting. Be here at the beginning, maybe a few minutes early, so that you don't miss out. Because if your attitude is, man, I just... uh, I don't, get the big, I don't get what the big deal is. I don't really need to be there for, for worship. It's just that singing part. Then you've misunderstood what worship is in the first place. And understand rightly what it is. That it's your participation in the body. You're building up the body of Christ through your own voice and your own praise. That you're remembering who you are and what God has done in your life. And it is so central and so important because it's a declaration of Jesus' worth for you. Be here for worship. Do everything in your power to get your family here to church and be ready to worship so they can see in your life 
the importance of worship. That they'll know Jesus is at the center of who we are as a family. He's at the center of my dad's life. He's at the center of my mom's life. He is the reason that they, that they continue. And so they'll understand from what they see in your priorities by the fact that you didn't show up 15 minutes late and act as if singing was just row, row, row your boat, but you understood I want to be there on time. I want to be there when God's people start to lift their hands and praise the Lord because I had a tough week. And so I need to be there even more. I had a difficult time this week and, and my emotions are all over the place. And so what am I going to do? Sit at home and watch TV and let my emotions be led in a direction that further takes me from God? Or am I going to go to a place where I know and trust my emotions will be led toward the source of true hope and peace and joy and righteousness in God? Be here and show it as a priority in your family. Teach them the importance. Show them the sacrifice of praise and of humbling yourself before the Lord. Show your brothers and sisters in Christ the importance of being present to adore God in humble worship of your Savior and experiencing all the benefits that come from acknowledging God in your life. Worship is not an addition we throw on the front so that we can let people get here for the main part, the sermon. That's not what it is. Worship is what we do to center our hearts on Jesus, remind ourselves over and over again so we do not forget his benefits and what he's done so that our emotions are not led astray by the enemy and that we are led in the way that we need to go. This is what worship is. And I wanna encourage you, be here for it. Be here for it with your hearts and with your souls and with your bodies as well. Be here for worship. Would you stand with me? Because we're gonna get ready to worship the Lord this morning. And in that heart and with that enthusiasm, would you just lift your voice in songs of praise to God and let's worship Him with a fresh understanding of what we're doing when we lift our voices and we clap our hands and we lift our hands in songs of praise to God. Let's worship the Lord together this morning. Lift up the gates, swing wide the doors, the King of Glory. 